everyone. Welcome to this episode of Primary Care Anywhere, the podcast brought to you by the University of Utah's Internal Medicine Residency Program. My name is Carolyn Bell, and I'm an internal medicine intern at the U of Utah. In this episode of Primary Care Anywhere, we'll be discussing non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, aka NAFLD, which includes NAFL, NASH, and NASH cirrhosis. Considering 30 to 40% of the U.S. population likely has some kind of fatty liver disease, let's just say you're going to see this. I just became acutely aware of this disease process with a patient I recently saw in my own clinic not long ago, whose case I'll be sharing with you today. We'll start with case. We'll start with the case and then get into the definitions, epidemiology, diagnosis, and treatment of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. We'll finish up with some key points, and also don't forget to check out the sweet infographic made by Dr. Alexis Clifton that goes along with this episode. Here's our case. This is a 69-year-old man with a history of obesity and type 2 diabetes that has been well-controlled on metformin for many years. He is a never-smoker and never-drinker. He presented to the emergency department with three weeks of melanotic stools, progressive weakness, increasing swelling in his legs, and one day of fever. He denies chills, chest pain, shortness of breath, abdominal pain, or nausea. He is able to ambulate without difficulty or assistance and has no focal pain or other complaints. His daughter requested that he come to the emergency department tonight for evaluation. On exam, he is afebrile, slightly hypertensive, and tachycardic, with normal work of breathing and a slightly distended abdomen with mild ascites and bilateral 2 plus edema to the shin. He is alert and oriented to person, place, time, and event. He has a history of mildly elevated liver enzymes for one year, and his ALKFOS is currently 143 with an AST of 57 and ALT of 14. His A1C is 6.5. He has a normocytic anemia with hemoglobin of 8.7, albumin of 2.6, and lactate of 3.5. His INR is 1.5, creatinine 1.36, T-bili 1.3. His autoimmune and hepatitis screenings are negative. I'll now turn it over to Dr. Gomnitz to discuss some definitions and get into the epidemiology of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Now that we've heard a case to prime us, let's think about the definitions and epidemiology of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, or NAFLD. NAFLD is an umbrella term encompassing the spectrum of hepatic steatosis-related disorders not due to significant alcohol consumption. Prior clinical studies of NAFLD have defined significant alcohol consumption as greater than or equal to 21 standard drinks per week for men and 14 standard drinks per week for women over a two-year span prior to their diagnosis. Historically, histologic presence of greater than 5% or greater hepatocellular steatosis was what defined NAFLD. As we will discuss in the diagnosis section, we do not use biopsy as much as we used to. Additionally, by definition, NAFLD cannot be due to a secondary metabolic process, drugs, toxins, or other chronic liver disease, all of which can cause steatosis independently. NAFLD can be subdivided into three distinct diseases based on the level of hepatitis and fibrosis seen on histology. If there is isolated hepatic steatosis, it's referred to as non-alcoholic fatty liver or NAFL, N-A-F-L. If there is steatosis with hepatocellular injury and inflammation, plus or minus fibrosis, it's called non-alcoholic steatohepatitis or NASH. 
If NASH causes enough fibrosis and it progresses to cirrhosis, it's then referred to as NASH cirrhosis. Now that we have some definitions for NAFLD and its subcategories, let's talk about their epidemiology and overall impact on our care systems. NAFLD is the most common cause of chronic liver disease in the United States and worldwide. Studies show between 30 to 40% of the adult population of the United States and approximately 25% of the global population have NAFLD. It's anticipated that the global population percentage with NAFLD will increase in coming years due to higher rates of obesity and diabetes with higher prevalence of Western diets. NAFLD is also known to be the leading cause of liver disease in children globally and the most common cause of cryptogenic cirrhosis noted on autopsy. While the prevalence of NAFLD is high, it is important to distinguish between non-alcoholic fatty liver and NASH subtypes because there are significant differences in their prognosis. Non-alcoholic fatty liver accounts for approximately 80% and NASH accounts for approximately 20% of NAFLD cases. Non-alcoholic fatty liver usually follows an indolent course without development of hepatitis or cirrhosis. On the other hand, NASH has a much higher risk of progression of disease. It's estimated between 10 to 30% of those with NASH will develop progressive fibrosis and cirrhosis. Though NASH accounts for the minority of NAFLD cases, given the overall high prevalence of NAFLD globally, this still means a substantial number of cases. This is reflected in NAFLD's claim to the number one cause of chronic liver disease worldwide. NASH cirrhosis is also currently the second most common indication for liver transplant, and it's expected to be the leading indication for transplant in the coming years. Due to this prognostic difference, as we will discuss, identifying NASH or signs of fibrosis is a large component of NAFLD diagnosis and risk stratification. Risk factors for developing NAFLD include obesity, metabolic syndrome, dyslipidemia, type 2 diabetes, obstructive sleep apnea, and PCOS. Demographically, NAFLD is more prevalent in men than women and more common in those of Hispanic descent. There have been some studies on family and twins to suggest a genetic component to the pathogenesis, but no specific genes have been identified. However, there is an overall belief that insulin resistance and the metabolic syndrome is the driving pathology leading to the development of NAFLD. Thanks, John, for that great review on the definition and epidemiology of NAFLD. My name is Tess Badiola, and I'm a third-year internal medicine resident who will be taking you all through the diagnosis of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Historically, the gold standard for a diagnosis of NAFLD has been liver biopsy, and as you've already heard, the presence of 5% or greater hepatocellular steatosis is diagnostic of the condition. However, liver biopsy is invasive, expensive, and limited by sampling error. For that reason, newer imaging techniques to evaluate for steatosis have been gaining popularity. We'll get to those methods in a bit. First, I wanted to review the basics of NAFLD diagnosis that can be done in the clinic. This includes a thorough history, physical, and lab workup for the extent of liver disease present, as well as workup for associated conditions and other causes of liver disease that must be excluded. 
In terms of history taking, patients with NAFLD are usually asymptomatic, but advanced disease can lead to fatigue, pruritus, muscle loss, and jaundice. Pay attention to associated conditions such as diabetes, obesity, dyslipidemia, hypertension, PCOS, hypothyroidism, OSA, and CKD. A thorough medication review is also important to identify any possible medications that can be causes of liver injury. And finally, your social history should focus on alcohol use, of course. Physical exam findings might include abdominal obesity related to metabolic syndrome, as well as stigmata of chronic liver disease, such as ascites, splenomegaly, spider telangiectasias, palmar erythema, asterixis, and muscle wasting. An initial lab evaluation should include a CMP, CBC, and PTINR. A CMP can assess your liver enzymes, AST and ALT. In NAFLD, we typically expect the AST and ALT to be elevated to about two to four times the upper limit of normal, and the AST to ALT ratio to be less than one. I would also take note of albumin, which is a measure of synthetic function. ALKFAS may be elevated, but bilirubin is typically normal. It's also important to look at the sodium and creatinine, which can be abnormal in more advanced fibrosis or cirrhosis. A CBC is used to look for thrombocytopenia, and PTINR is another marker of synthetic function and is typically normal and NAFLD. These labs can all be applied to scoring systems to evaluate a fibrosis stage, which we'll talk a little bit more about later. In a patient we expect to have NAFLD, exclusion of other causes of liver disease is key to making the diagnosis. Alcohol-related liver disease can be evaluated for with history and labs. Just as a reminder, significant alcohol consumption is defined as over 14 drinks per week in women and over 21 drinks per week in men. There is an alcoholic liver disease NAFLD index called ANI that takes into account mean corpuscular volume, AST to ALT ratio, BMI, and sex to predict likelihood of alcoholic liver disease. A score over 2.2 would make you suspicious for alcoholic liver disease and we should be thinking a little bit less about non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Hepatic steatosis due to other liver diseases also requires a thorough medication review, as I mentioned before, as well as lab evaluation for conditions like hemochromatosis, autoimmune liver disease, chronic viral hepatitis, and Wilson disease. As part of your workup for a possible new diagnosis of NAFLD, or perhaps after you make the diagnosis, it's a good idea to evaluate for associated conditions like obesity, diabetes, hypertension, dyslipidemia, and OSA. Okay, now that we've talked about history, physical, and lab workup, let's move on to more advanced diagnostic testing, including imaging and liver biopsy. Imaging should be completed in all patients who are being evaluated for NAFLD to assess for fat in the liver and to characterize the extent of fibrosis. There's a number of imaging modalities to assess for fat in the liver. A right upper quadrant ultrasound is 100% sensitive for fat in the liver and is a reasonable first step. CT is another option as it is about 93% sensitive. Depending on the resources at your health center, MR spectroscopy and MRI-derived protein density fat fraction, or MRI-PDFF, are newer methods that have very high levels of accuracy, even approaching the accuracy we see from liver biopsy. Once fat in the liver is established, we must then assess assess for and characterize hepatic fibrosis, because this has important prognostic and management implications. 
The FibroScan, or ultrasound-based transient elastography, uses low-amplitude shear wave to estimate liver stiffness. MR elastography is another option that is more sensitive than FibroScan. There are some risk calculators available to help determine whether advanced fibrosis may be present even without doing imaging. However, these calculators are less able to discriminate intermediate stages of fibrosis. Some of the common calculators we use include the NAFLD fibrosis score, which is the most validated, the fibrosis 4 index or FIB4 index, and the ASC to platelet ratio index. Biomarkers have also been studied as another means to estimate fibrosis. Um, CK18M30 is a circulating marker of apoptosis and is perhaps the most validated biomarker. However, its routine use has not yet been recommended. As I mentioned previously, liver biopsy is still considered the gold standard for establishing a diagnosis and prognosis of NAFLD. Because of its invasiveness and cost, it is reserved for specific patient cases. Indications for liver biopsy include uncertainty about NAFLD diagnosis or potential coexisting forms of liver disease, difficulty with differentiating steatosis and steatohepatitis on other non-invasive studies, and intermediate to high risk for progression. In summary, a diagnosis of NAFLD is made by excluding other causes of chronic liver disease, identifying fat in the liver on initial imaging, defining the extent of liver fibrosis on more advanced imaging, and finally, pursuing liver biopsy for tougher cases. Thanks. Now we'll move on to the treatment of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. There are currently no agents that have been approved by the FDA to treat NAFLD, though there are several drugs in various stages of development. The current approach to NAFLD management should be aimed at preventing disease progression, promoting potential regression, and managing comorbid conditions, particularly cardiovascular disease, which is the leading cause of death in NAFLD patients. One of the strategies includes weight loss and physical activity. Weight loss is the primary proven treatment for regression of NAFLD. The degree of liver histologic improvement is directly proportional to the amount of weight lost. Exercise alone can even reduce hepatic steatosis. Small trials have shown that aerobic exercise three times per week can improve visceral adiposity and hepatic steatosis even in the absence of weight loss. Resistance training may also improve hepatic steatosis and insulin resistance without weight loss, although it may be less effective than aerobic exercise. Optimal duration and intensity have not yet been determined, though data suggests significant improvements with at least 150 minutes per week. You may ask, are there specific dietary modifications that are best for improving NAFLD? There are numerous studies. One study showed that the Mediterranean diet showed an improvement in insulin resistance and liver fat content over a low-fat, high-carb, isocaloric diet, despite no difference in weight loss. Another study showed that a low-carb diet led to a greater reduction in liver fat over a reduced-calorie diet. Limited data also shows that reducing intake of saturated fatty acids and high-fructose corn syrup and consuming a moderate amount of coffee on a daily basis may be beneficial for hepatic steatosis or fibrosis. Basically, all of this to say that we need more studies researching dietary modifications that may make an impact on NAFLD. Now on to medical therapy. As mentioned earlier, there are no drugs approved specifically for management of NAFLD. However, several medications have been effective at reducing steatohepatitis in clinical trials. These include weight loss medications, insulin sensitizers, vitamin E, lipid management, and cytoprotective agents. For weight loss meds, it is important to note that at least 9% of overall body weight must be lost 
to improve NAFL histology. The most extensively studied weight loss medication is Orlistat. As for insulin sensitizers, although metformin has been shown to reduce aminotranspirase levels and improve insulin resistance related to NAFLD, it does not significantly improve liver histology and is not recommended for NASH treatment. However, pioglitazone has been associated with improvement in hepatic steatosis, inflammation, insulin resistance, and liver enzyme levels. Vitamin E is also a relatively safe and inexpensive intervention that reduces generation of reactive oxygen species in the liver and oxidative stress, leading to improvement in hepatic steatosis. Next up, statins. They are recommended to treat concomitant hyperlipidemia, but not as a primary NAFLD treatment. Next, cytoprotective agents. Bioacids, such as ursodeoxycholic acid, UDCA, have shown mixed results in trials. Routine use is not currently recommended. As mentioned earlier, there are drugs that are currently undergoing clinical trials. Feel free to reference the literature for more details. Some of these meds are obeticolic acid and elafibrinor. Finally, I wanted to briefly discuss when weight loss surgery should be considered. Weight loss is the best treatment for NASH. For patients who cannot lose at least 9% of their body weight with diet and exercise, bariatric surgery should be considered. Although no randomized controlled trials have been done, most studies show significant improvement in NASH, including reversal of fibrosis in 60% to 80% of patients having bariatric surgery. That's it, folks. It's Carolyn again, here to finish up our case after all that information from my amazing colleagues. Our patient gets a CT abdomen that shows hepatic cirrhosis, portal vein thrombosis, and portal hypertension with multiple large portal and upper abdominal varicosities. There is splenomegaly and moderate ascites, and EGD is notable for grade 1 esophageal varices and portal hypertensive gastropathy. He was diagnosed with NASH cirrhosis and started on furosemide and spironolactone. He was also started on anticoagulation for his portal vein thrombosis. He improved significantly over the next two days and was discharged home with hepatology follow-up. After discharge, he was seen in liver clinic and determined to be well compensated enough with a MELD score of 11 to not be listed for transplant. He increased his activity, reduced the sodium in his diet, and at follow-up with his primary care provider, had lost 15 pounds and was feeling great. He plans to continue losing weight with the help of a comprehensive weight management program at a local hospital. This case demonstrates many key points about non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, specifically how sneaky its presentation can be. Fatty liver disease of any kind is often found incidentally due to elevated liver enzymes on routine testing, although some patients may have no laboratory abnormalities. You really have to be looking for it or else you could easily miss it. Most patients are asymptomatic, even if they have elevated liver enzymes, and you have to rule out all other causes of liver disease to make the diagnosis. Some other key points include that diet and exercise are the treatments for all types of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Losing 3-5% to of body weight is needed to reduce steatosis, and bariatric surgery is recommended for people with class 3 obesity and associated comorbidities. Patients with NASH also benefit from weight loss but need to lose more weight, think 10% or more of body weight, to reduce hepatic inflammation. There are no FDA-approved pharmacologic therapies for NASH or non-alcoholic fatty liver disease of any kind. Vitamin E and pioglitazone for 96 weeks have shown some benefit in studies but are not fully approved. 
Additionally, people with NASH cirrhosis must be screened for varices at diagnosis, and the patients should also be assessed for hepatocellular carcinoma and liver function every six months. Finally, the amount of fibrosis is the key determinant of outcomes in these patients, and for that reason, people with decompensated NASH cirrhosis should be referred for liver transplant evaluation. And with that, we'll wrap up. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Primary Care Anywhere. Thank you.